This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Pierre Azam to the show. Dr. Pierre is a psychiatrist turned professional coach who specializes in working with men at times of major life transition, including early fatherhood. He uses his Instagram platform, Braver Man, to give voice to father's experience and advocate on their behalf. I've invited him here today to help us understand a father's experience of postpartum anxiety. Are men at risk for postpartum anxiety? To what degree does postpartum anxiety look or appear different in men than it does in mothers? Do fathers experience intrusive thoughts? And often, what are they around? And we try to navigate and unpack that blurry line of what is a normal amount of worry and fear becoming a new parent and what starts to become more problematic and more distressing amounts of anxiety. The work that Dr. Pierre is doing to help support and advocate for fathers is so important. And I encourage you to forward this on to a partner if you see any of these red flags in them so that they too can learn, understand, and feel validated in their experience. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Pierre. Did you know that moms aren't the only parents at risk for postpartum mental health concerns? All partners face major adjustments during the transition into parenthood, and everybody is at an increased risk for developing depression, anxiety, or other struggles. The postpartum period brings a lot of difficulties from sleep deprivation, to uncertainty in your role, to difficulty bonding with your new baby. I want you to know that mental health matters, not just for moms, but for all partners. If you're struggling to find your footing as a parent and aren't sure what to do, the best thing you can do for yourself, for your partner, and for your baby is to take care of yourself. Working with a therapist who understands and specializes in the adjustment to parenthood can help you work through your feelings, navigate the difficult changes in your life, and determine how to meet your needs so you can heal, thrive, and show up as the best version of yourself. It's time to break the stigma, to reach out for help, and prioritize your mental health. Our virtual therapists are standing by to help seven days a week. Head to happyasamother.co slash book to book a free 15-minute consult with a virtual therapist in your area. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Dr. Pierre, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I have to tell you, I've been on the hunt 
for some fatherhood dad partner support platforms. So when I came across you on Instagram, I was so excited, knew we had to connect and collaborate. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Erica. It's a pleasure. I'm really curious. I was, we were talking off air before this, like you've really started to niche down and working with men, working with fathers, men in transition. How did this niche come about for you? Yeah. Well, it is a kind of an interesting niche and, and sort of an underrepresented one. My background is as a psychiatrist and my road to psychiatry was pretty roundabout. I'd long had an interest in neuroscience in college, but that really grew in medical school, and it was colored by my own experiences of major depression, OCD, that were diagnosed when I was in medical school. And I think a part of that helped me to gain some awareness just personally to much of the stigma that's associated with mental health care and mental illness for men. Hmm. But interestingly, my more recent endeavors in professional coaching and working with men at times of major life change started with an interest in early fatherhood that really grew with a small but important part of my work that was in the women's hospital working as a psychiatrist alongside other mental health professionals and obstetrics teams. And I became really interested in what it might mean to extend support to fathers and expand the mental health services and supportive services that were available to moms and dads alike. And that led to some interest in training and professional coaching and kind of melding my interests in mental health care and one-on-one personal development work to focus on reducing stigma around mental illness and mental health care for men, especially at these pivotal moments like early fatherhood. Like we know that postpartum period pregnancy and postpartum for women is one of the most at-risk times of their entire life, right? And it's a perfect storm of a lot of different things, sleep deprivation, hormones, adjustment, identity changes. But we've got our partners experiencing these same things as well. And it's so rarely discussed. And I've done some digging to try and find some research and try and really beef up our Fatherhood Friday series and try to understand a father's adjustment in the postpartum period. And I got to tell you, there is not a lot out there to go off of, hey? There's very little, very, very little. Yeah. I think especially in the realm of where we're going to focus some energy today, which is on postpartum anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I'd say in general, there's very little on this topic, even when it comes to motherhood, but there's Mm. painfully little when it comes to dads. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to sort of, I guess, disclaimer this off the top. We know moms are undersupported, right? And so Very. in having these conversations about fathers, we are not negating or challenging or comparing a mother's struggle to a father's struggle. And no. I that's the a big response I get online on Father Fridays. It's like, oh yeah, like, and it becomes this weird competitive, like comparing of sufferings. And mm-hmm. I just want to nick that like in the book coming in because the more we can understand what we truly need, each of us as partners in this season, the better equipped we are to navigate it together. And we each have our own experience here. And I think that putting fathers in the spotlight to understand their experience is going to create a healthier unit overall. Agreed. I'm so glad you're bringing it up early on because it is such a common question. If we extend support to fathers, are we somehow 
lessening the support that we give to mom. And this is by no means a zero-sum game. Hmm. While there's not much evidence in general around paternal work and even maternal mental health, the evidence does support this important fact. And that is the more we help one parent, the more we help the family unit. Mm -hmm. If we help one parent, we help the other parent. If we help one parent, we help the kid. Mm -hmm. If we help both parents, we're helping the family at large. So it becomes really important here to not negate the importance of helping mom. The resources that are available for mothers while they are more plentiful than the resources available for fathers are painfully underrepresented. Mm -hmm. We need more. We need more for all parents and all elements of the family. Yeah. And so uh, I'm with you 100% on this one. I think it's super important to be clear that in supporting fathers, we very much are supporting the family at large and underscoring the importance of supporting mom. Yeah. And I think about the statistic about like if I'm going through postpartum depression or anxiety, which I did in my third postpartum, yeah. how that puts my partner at 50% greater risk that him supporting me means he has to be well. You know, if we're all unwell, the ship is sinking. And so there are added pressures and dynamics when there are these complications or when like mom is experiencing mental health challenges or there's baby complications, all the things we know that can come up postpartum. So yeah. we all need to be well in this situation. So Agreed. yeah, I am so excited to dig into this conversation because postpartum yeah, anxiety is just like, it's not discussed enough. And I very rarely hear it talked about in father's experience. So do dads get postpartum anxiety? And like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, the short answer to that question is yes. I think to what degree is the part that's uncertain? And, you know, historically, the range that's been reported has been really broad. It's been two and a half percent to 20% for dads. Like and talk about a <laughs> super broad, a big gaping window. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Really uh, gaping broad. And the ranges for moms have been a little bit all over the place too. But I think that as more and more evidence gets cemented to suggest that that rate is about one in five for moms, it's substantial. It nearly is double the rate of postpartum depression, about one and a half times. And I think the challenge for, I mean, there are a lot of challenges that we can discuss associated with naming and getting clear on the exact rates of anxiety. But more recent studies for dads suggest that that is on the order of 10% of fathers. Mm. That about 10% of fathers will experience syndromal anxiety. And there's a lot of reason, I think, for the less certainty, although it's not necessarily been discussed so much. And I think part of that is that in general, it's less well studied as compared to postpartum depression for all parents. Mm -hmm. But anxiety itself is kind of a broader term. When we think about the diagnosis of major depression, that requires two weeks of a fairly clearly described syndrome. But when we think about anxiety, it's super broad. And when we talk about postpartum anxiety, it has encapsulated these experiences of generalized anxiety and panic disorder and social anxiety and OCD and PTSD 
So when mm-hmm. we talk about it, we've yet to discuss a really specific standardized experience. And I think that means that in general, we get less of a clear picture about how anxiety shows up for parents at large. Hmm. But the short answer is yes, very much. And we can talk a bit about how it looks and feels for fathers. We're still kind of getting a handle on how it looks and feels for moms, despite there being more research in that domain in that regard. Yeah, I hear what you're saying when it comes to defining like a postpartum depression or a depressive episode that is like uncharacteristic and, you know, behavior starts to change and things like that versus anxiety where I find a lot of clients or even myself going into my postpartum experience, I kind of ran on like revved up already. Like my baseline was already pretty anxious. Yeah. So it didn't seem entirely uncharacteristic. The volume was just turned up a little bit. So sure. it is harder, I would say, for the person experiencing it, but also for providers because of all of the various other things, the sleep deprivation and the adjustment and change. It makes sense to feel anxious. There's so many things going on here that make it really tricky. For sure. So the fine line between what is sort of normal, what might be in the sort of threshold of normal versus what becomes pathology can be really fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you look at stuff like sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Can we try and paint that picture of what it starts to look like for dads? And is the expression different than moms usually? Because I think about postpartum depression in moms or myself. Well, we've got like we either move towards and try and control or we avoid and move away. Yeah. But a lot of it kind of becomes a gatekeeping behavior often where we really need to be the one to care for baby. Does it show up in the same way for dads or look different? Yeah. Well, you know, we can talk a little bit about how postpartum depression might show up a bit differently for dads. There's much less written about how anxiety may show up differently for moms versus dads. I think mm-hmm. this is an area where there's a lot of need for more research. For dads, the tendency in depressive episodes is to show up with more withdrawal, mm-hmm. with more avoidance of help-seeking, sometimes with a greater tendency to experience numbness or feeling depleted rather than feeling sad. It's also a tendency to experience more attacks of anger or irritability, as well as a tendency to lean on substances or gambling or risky behaviors in kind of an effort to numb. Mm -hmm. Now, there's not as much written or studied about the differences in terms of anxiety, but when we think about what has been written and has been studied in the realm of postpartum anxiety, the general experience covers all of these various mental health conditions that we talked about before. But dads tend to describe this sort of feeling a sense of dread, Mm -hmm. uh, ruminating, being in my own mind a lot, being in my own head, worrying that gets in the way of sleep. Mm -hmm. I think sleep is always a challenging one, especially given the experience, you know, in the first year postpartum. Mm -hmm. But it's often described as sleep impairment above and beyond the sleep impairment that may come about as a result of overnight sleep schedule and changes to implicit sleep schedule. Dads can report feeling panicky or agitated, 
afraid of losing control. So some of the symptoms of panic attacks. Mm. We can talk a little more about intrusive thoughts, which I think have gotten more attention of late. So there are some features of postpartum anxiety that can overlap with OCD, that can overlap with obsessions. These recurrent, unwanted, repetitive, intrusive urges or thoughts or even images. Mm-hmm. There can be some elements even of trauma-based experiences, feeling on guard, feeling upset or re-experiencing memories, especially if the birth itself was traumatic. Mm-hmm. That too is a big risk factor for postpartum anxiety for both moms and dads. Yeah. And then finally, there's a sense of some experience of anxiety being in public spaces, some element of social anxiety. And it's so broad here, which I think makes it such a difficult experience to get your hands around. But that's generally the experience for dads. And one thing that does differ between postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression for fathers is the timeline. That postpartum depression for dads, and this is where it sort of deviates from the experience for moms, postpartum depression for dads tends to peak in months three to six postpartum. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. There may be lots of different reasons for that. Some have argued that that becomes, especially in the context of differences in parental leave, that becomes the time in which dad begins to take on more role and responsibility. And so that may describe some of the delay. There may be other reasons too, Hmm. but Mm -hmm. in the postpartum anxiety research thus far, That tends to suggest that anxiety peaks around the time of delivery and shortly thereafter and tends to decline as time goes on. Mm -hmm. That tends to happen for some fathers, for some mothers, it persists. And that's often when we may define going from a normal experience that isn't distressing to one that is pervasive or persistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can really see these different sort of flares or or flavors of anxiety, you know, that you're talking about. Yeah. I remember speaking with, it was either a client or a guest. I feel like they all blur into my mind now. Talking about how this mom went in and had this really traumatic birth. And she was put under and she actually wasn't like aware of a lot of it. Yeah. And dad had to like sign away his rights pretty much over her. Mm. And like... I can't even begin to imagine myself having to be in a position like that. So I think about our fathers or our partners being in these positions and then mom and baby, you know, having their own stuff to deal with after postpartum and adjustment and these things that come up. And then partner and dad navigating the world with no support. Yeah, I think uh, that's a common experience for men. Yeah. Yeah. There's our own stuff, too, that contributes to it. But also, just thinking about the themes around anxiety, usually they're concerns for the safety of mom and baby. Yeah. And so when that becomes legitimately threatened, to no fault of anyone's, just in the process of birthing, then it's a huge vulnerability for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the themes that I've heard come up is like reoccurring themes of powerlessness or helplessness. Like 
I don't know what to do in this situation, or I don't know how to support, or I feel like my hands are tied. Is that something that you see emerge? A lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think more dads than might be willing to admit, maybe even to their partners, in part because there is so much stigma around wanting to show up as effective and valuable as possible, as strong as possible. There is often a description of not letting anyone in on feeling powerless, feeling helpless, feeling Mm -hmm. really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's probably one of the most unspoken experiences for fathers. Hmm. That helplessness, hey? Yeah, I think so. And then I think about that relationship with that feeling of uncertainty or that loss of control. Like we talk about anxiety. It's all about Mm -hmm. having our composure, having our control, having some routine and predictability. So if we feel powerless or we feel like the future is so uncertain, it's breeding ground for anxiety or intrusive thoughts and worries. And as you said, that rumination and preoccupation. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And then there are other natural elements that we also don't talk about. I mean, frankly, we don't talk about it enough for fathers. Probably don't fully appreciate the extent to which it impacts moms. And that is natural hormonal changes as well that time and again, studies have suggested happen in fathers that mirror much of what's happening for moms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it becomes important, too, to recognize that some of those elements do impact the way we respond to our emotions and to anxiety. They do impact moms. They do impact dads. It's sort of surprising because we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the changes to testosterone or estrogen or cortisol that happen for both parents in many ways in an effort to increase baby bonding. Mm -hmm. It allows for an increase in father's sense of bonding to mom and bonding to baby. But it also means that there's this extra element of contribution then to a change in the way we might experience our thoughts and emotions and behaviors. And so there is this extra bit of having experiences that are fully out of our control. Right. Which for many guys, I think, is just an area of extreme fear. Most of us really like to feel in control of at least what's happening within us. Mm-hmm. And as moms can probably describe in far better detail than fathers, it takes getting used to to fully experience changes that happen during the postpartum period. There are experiences where we're not going to feel as fully in control of our emotions and behaviors and cognitions. And that's to no fault of our own as humans, Mm -hmm. mom or dad. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Yeah, I think about and I've had many conversations about biologically and sort of evolutionary speaking what happens in this postpartum period where it makes sense that we're on guard and we're hypervigilant. We're trying to keep totally. a little human alive, right? 100%. And then enter like really haunting, just like disturbing intrusive thoughts and... What do we do with that? You know, like when our Mm -hmm. brain is trying to do what it needs to do biologically to function as a parent and it's sort of like misfiring or stuck Mm -hmm. on like, you know, all the way up in terms of these thoughts and and anxiety. So are intrusive thoughts just as prevalent in dads as they are in moms? I know that generally speaking, 95% of us throughout life are going to have intrusive thoughts, right? Like we, we experience them. And I know they're very extremely common in mothers. Like again, that in that ninety percent to one hundred percent, some studies about ninety five. Yeah. So, is the same experience true for fathers as well? Yeah, it's very similar. 
So about yeah. 80% of fathers will experience intrusive thoughts. Mm. And I read that 95% for moms and I think, well, I don't know what happens to that 5%. And I don't know if it's an under reporting or maybe a, I think it is near universal. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And my hunch is that the rate for fathers is higher than 80%. But the 80% is most commonly reported frequency of intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. They're most commonly associated with safety. Yeah. Safety to mom or safety to baby more frequently. These fears of the baby being harmed or even not only I'm afraid something will happen to the baby, but it, I'm afraid I'll do something inadvertently mm. to bring about harm to the baby. I'll drop the baby or I'll suffocate the baby. And these obviously create a tremendous amount of distress to parents. And I think for many fathers, many of whom want more than anything to protect mom and protect baby, it's a huge area of shame. So it's no wonder it gets underreported. Hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you bring up such an important piece that's been sort of rattling around in the back of my brain. There is this gender stereotype or this, you know, push for fathers to be the protectors, right? Yeah. And maybe we can unpack that a little bit because I don't know how much that gets internalized. I don't work with a lot of dads personally, but I can imagine how if we've got this core belief of like to be a good dad means I need to protect my loved ones yep. in whatever capacity. But then I'm also having these intrusive thoughts of inadvertent harm or or me inadvertently harming. Like that cuts against our core belief of who we should be. It definitely does. I think it creates for many fathers a sense of really painful, almost unspeakable shame. Mm -hmm. And I would say this for mothers and fathers alike. These intrusive, unwanted thoughts, they're not indicators of desired actions. Mm -hmm. They're not indicative of latent intentions. They are natural experiences of unwanted, intrusive, kind of almost protective experiences where my brain might take me to this scary place, even the shame-inducing place, as sort of an effort to remind me of my sense of obligation, my sense of mm. protection. The scary part is that those intrusive thoughts, they're intrusive. Like, we don't want them. Mm -hmm. We want them to mm -hmm. go away. And holding on to this sort of shame that naturally I think many dads hang on to, many moms too, mm -hmm. that somehow even the thought of it must mean something terrible about me. Right. I'm this evil person. I have these awful thoughts and desires and beliefs and, you know. Yeah, 100%. And I think the more we normalize the discussion around this experience, the less shame gets held on to it. Yeah. And I think for many men, you're absolutely right. There is a sense, my role here is to protect, is to protect my partner, to protect my family, to protect my kid. And this intrusive thought is going to lead to a tremendous amount of shame, especially if I hold it in, mm -hmm. especially if I hold it in. And then I say, well, I'm not going to hold the baby as a result. I give in to this sort of intrusive fear. It only ends up feeding upon itself. Mm -hmm. And one common thing that we know around, we don't know this so much about postpartum anxiety or postpartum OCD 
for moms and dads, but we do know that there's a tremendous discrepancy in reporting that many men will hold in our experiences. Uh, we won't share them freely, that there's a stigma around, especially experiences in which there's something uncontrollable, like an intrusive thought, where we can't let it just go. Mm -hmm. Because that's not how our brains work. We can't, if a thought comes in, there are approaches that we can undertake to sort of relieve the intrusive nature of those thoughts. But often that is just recognizing this is a thought. This has nothing to do with who I am. Hmm. This is irrational. This is normal. Most people experience it. It doesn't mean that, that as a result, something bad will happen to the baby or that I'll do something bad. Mm -hmm. And that alone is really relieving. But most parents don't get that opportunity. They sort of think that they're experiencing it alone and in silence. And that's what I love about, I mean, there are many things that I love about what you're doing. But one of the things that I really, that came up today even is just open discussion around intrusive thoughts for a therapist in your program. Yeah. And there's recognition that no one is immune from these experiences. I certainly have suffered my share of OCD. And even if I know approaches to treating OCD, that doesn't make me immune to the experience itself. Mm -hmm. I think sharing that normal discussion, that open discussion, tends to relieve a lot of the guilt, even a lot of the shame that emerges for parents as a result of these thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because as we're unpacking this, I see that many of these experiences can cut at the core of what it means to be a good dad, like air quotes, good dad, good father, yeah. right? We've got things like, and you tell me, but this is, you know, my observation is that we've got beliefs like to be a good dad or man, I have to be strong. I have to be sort of stoic and even keel. And to be a good dad, I need to protect and prevent harm. And if we've had trauma or traumatic birth in there, that's beyond your control. And imagine yeah. feeling like we're failing in our role, right? So I feel like some of these experiences really cut at like the identity of the dad experiencing them. Like I'm not a good enough dad that I'm struggling with this or that I've encountered this. And it becomes not about the event itself, but about the person at their core and their actual identity. And I'm like, I want us to like decenter that and put it outside for a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that a dad is failing in their role. It's not that they aren't doing enough or they're failing or they're inadequate in some way. It's that many, as you said, many of these experiences are biological. They're rooted in our brain. They're outside of our own control in a lot of instances. And the more we can see that as not a flaw in us, the better equipped and like the less shame we feel and the more of a growth mindset we have that there are skills and things we can do then to change this thing that is tormenting us. Mm -hmm. That is really brilliantly put. For me, a big part of working with men in general is recognizing some of the stories that we might tell ourselves about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a good man, in this case, what it means to be a good father, and to recognize that we can work toward that and also embrace the vulnerabilities that come along the way. One doesn't preclude the other. Hmm. So experiencing vulnerabilities and naming them, even embracing them, sharing them, 
allows us to cultivate the growth, to your point, to be the great father that we want to be. In this case, that might look like being a great protector. Frankly, recognizing that I might have this fearful thought and knowing it's just a thought that says very little about who I am at my core is hugely empowering, I would say, to anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious some of the narratives that you have heard, and this is a little bit of a sidestep, but I'd love to put them out there. Yeah. Of what it means to be a good dad. Like, what are some of those narratives? Because it sounds like protector, sounds like it comes up and is one of them. Are there some other reoccurring narratives or themes that you hear come up? Yeah, there are. Being a good protector, especially in the postpartum period in the first year and beyond, being a provider is a huge one. Hmm. I would say a lot of times when I work with men who are struggling, especially with a sense that something that is happening in their lives might undermine their sense of identity as a good father, it often cuts at the core of a man's capacity to provide for his family. Hmm. And so often that is in the context of a financial or occupational change. I think that's a big one. Mm -hmm. For many, there is being present in full, being able to share time with the family, to be the type of father who is available In many cases, that is to be the type of father who wasn't the type of father I had. Mm. That is a really big motivator. And for some men, there's a motivation to be very much like the father that I was if that father was comforting and available. But for many men, there's a big push to transcend the experiences of fatherhood that they had as sons growing up, that we had as sons growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. And so often that can be a story that gets internalized. And if I show up with a misstep, does that mean I'm like the kind of dad that I didn't want to be? I'm like my dad. There's also a recognition, too, of maybe some of the fallacy that's associated with trying to show up as the perfect parent that I think has been discussed in motherhood Mm -hmm. a fair bit, probably not nearly as much as it ought to be discussed, this sort of myth of the perfect mom. I think that it is very true for fathers. It's not something that we'll often discuss. Mm -hmm. And so I do think those two tend to be the provider bit, protector certainly, the provider, showing up as the present dad, Mm -hmm. the type of dad I wish I could have had. Mm -hmm. That is another really, really big story. And often that is rooted in this fear that if I take a misstep, that somehow it cuts at the identity of who I am. Mm-hmm. And a misstep, I mean, even that is like in big old air quotes. Right. We think sometimes of like intrusive thoughts as a misstep. Well, it's not your fault. Right. It's a normal human experience and not something that any of us can control or make go away before it happens. And so normalizing what that means, there can be a really big chasm between what a misstep that would interfere with a man's identity is and what we might think of as enough to interfere with an identity. Mm -hmm. And I I think most guys are pretty hard on ourselves. It's really interesting because I talk about the perfect mother myth all the time and intensive mothering, and I know the core beliefs and I've identified them and I work on debunking them. And, you know, it's such a core part of the work that I do. 
And then I'm trying to really map out and wrap my brain around what the target is to be a perfect dad. Like what do dads internalize it looks like to be the perfect dad and or what is a dad's invisible load? Because I call out, you know, the cognitive and mental labor of motherhood and what that looks like and parenthood, broadly speaking. But there is a unique experience here. And man, y'all are tight-lipped about it. I'm trying to unpack it. And I'm trying to like, you know, I'm really trying to like wrap my brain around this experience, but it's really not readily available or discussed, but it has to be there. Oh, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's there. I think that's one of the most powerful things about group work for men. Mm. That part of the reason that most guys are pretty tight-lipped about it, especially these days, is I'd say loneliness in general is pretty endemic to men. Mm. And so we kind of experience what we experience as though we're experiencing it single-handedly. And there's often this sense of needing to show up according to certain norms. And one of them being Mm self-sufficiency, being able to show up as fully strong, capable, not necessarily needing someone's help. And that's to our detriment. Mm. And so often when guys get in groups, especially fatherhood groups, which I think is such an important part of fatherhood work, unfortunately, it is rare to see groups that are made specifically available to dads. And frankly, I think we need a lot more mom groups as well. And I think that's one of the really wonderful things about just bringing people together. There's an awareness that my experience is not as different from someone else's Mm. as I might think. And here I am looking up to another man who looks like he's got it all figured out. And he's Mm. honestly sharing his own struggle with anxiety or his own struggle with depression or uncertainties about how he's showing up. And so there is some power to being able to share these elements of vulnerability. And I would say you build this collective strength as a result of that. And I think that's really important in working with parents, certainly in working with dads, because there is so much tight-lippedness about it. And it really gets me excited to think about what is that like myth for fathers Mm-hmm. Like, listen, we're going to have you back. And you and I, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to carve it out. Because like, I really think that it needs to be put out there. And I think that it's woven into some of what you alluded to, like gender norms and, and some stereotypes yeah. there. I think that it might depend on, you know, religious upbringing. And I feel like for moms, a lot of the, you know, be the nurturer, be the caregiver, be subservient kind of in this serving nature comes from our religious upbringing. So I'm sure that it's multifaceted, but I'd love for us to try and unpack that and just put a little bit of language to it. Because again, back to full circle to what we were talking about off the top is that when one of us is struggling, it impacts us as a unit. And when we're all well, we're functioning better together. And so understanding each other's experience not just trying to prove or keep score that one of us is struggling more than the other, but like giving space to each person to really, you know, work through this transition and adjustment. It's a wild adjustment. Only serves to improve the unit. Like it only serves to help us as we understand these things more and work together to support one another in them. Most definitely. Well said. Yeah. I was just going to add that there haven't been nearly enough of 
certainly in research, but even in clinical practice. But there is this budding area of research that's suggestive of exactly what it is that you mentioned, which is that moms and dads who work together, even in the provision of mental health care or in the provision of counseling or group work, tend to do better than each working independent of the other. And there is this sense, too, of like teamwork that Mm -hmm. can be, I mean, mom and dad, each individually facing these questions, am I good enough? Am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. And the sense that each of us or each parent feels like she or he is on their own only adds to this sense of shame and suffering. And so the programs that have put parents together, mom and dad together, have shown, again, research is still pretty limited in this mm-hmm. in this regard, but have shown better outcomes. So there is something really important here to recognizing that you as a pair can work together in order to help each individual and help the family unit. I mean, frankly, that's the sort of ideal experience of parenthood, but there's so much that undercuts the experience of togetherness when each parent is suffering independently. Mm-hmm. And you can get into these like, you know, I'm doing it better or I'm doing it, even if it's unspoken mm-hmm. or I'm not doing it as well. And yeah. there's a sort of implicit possibility for competition that working together and normalizing each experience can really overcome. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And the closeness that it can bring you to face something together versus feeling like you're at odds with one another or just siloed in shame, not talking about it at all. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned groups for dads. And I'm curious for dads that may be listening or partners who might be listening and want to you know, pass this on to dads some of this information. Where can they find groups? Where can they go? I know you're involved with Postpartum Support International. You've got yep. your platform. Like, Give it all to us. What's going on for dads? Yeah, there are a few different groups. And I think there are a few groups on Instagram. You know, I'm in the process of putting together group work for men that will expand into the realm of fatherhood. You know, this is sort of one of my own experiences of overcoming imposter syndrome. So, Erica, I'm not a dad. And at the same Mm -hmm. time, a big part of my work feels really passionately about helping men at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And helping family units, helping, I mean, my interest in fatherhood grew out of interest in working to help moms initially, and now it's expanded into working to help fathers. But certainly, I'll keep folks posted on the development of groups under my platform, which is probably the easiest way to get hold of me is through Instagram at braver.man. Mm-hmm. And there are also various groups that are available for dads. And so I'm happy to answer any questions that a dad might have about what options may be available within either the local area or virtually around fatherhood groups based on what he's looking for specifically. Mm -hmm. But there are a number of platforms on Instagram, too, that help men around the experience of fatherhood. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to provide a little more based on what individuals might need. And they, they tend to be a little bit different from one another. Some of them tend to be a little more religiously oriented. Some tend to be a little more rooted in traditional norms of masculinity. Some of them tend to be 
very much rooted in defining what it means to be a new father now. Mm -hmm. But I would say one of the most important things around seeking mental health care around fatherhood is perhaps starting with the local community. If I do experience something like depression or anxiety, what might be available within my community? It is important to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that the virtual community hasn't evolved for fathers quite as strongly as it has for moms. I think you're doing a pretty amazing job of bringing that together for moms in a way that, you know, crosses provinces Mm. is not quite available in the same way for fathers. But there are some platforms that help men to appreciate some of the tools and tactics that might be valuable to navigate some of these experiences for men. Mm -hmm. Well, even when I started the platform back 2019, 2020, there were no real pages like yours. Yeah. So people would ask and and you and like Travis, I recently had on and had a conversation mm-hmm. with. And, and so the fact that there is like an emergence happening of voices like yours for dads is so needed and so appreciated. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Of and I'm, I'm serious. I'm having you back. We're mapping it out. We're going to put some language to this experience. So thank you. I think you. so too. That would be fantastic. And I think the... Therapy for Dads account is also one that specifically speaks to the fatherhood experience. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So Travis and I have worked together a bit and communicated a fair bit. He's doing a lot of work to normalize much of the experience around fathers. Yeah. And we'll make sure to throw those resources and links into the show notes and the blog post so that they're easy to find and click through. And thank you so much for your time today. I absolutely love getting to know Dr. Pierre. And as you heard, I can't wait to have him back to help us understand and unpack more of dad's perspective and experience. The adjustment to parenthood is a really unique journey, one that not all generalist therapists can speak to. But our perinatal specialists are trained to understand the subtle nuances of the adjustment to parenthood and support both moms and dads on their new parenting journey. If you or your partner are looking for postpartum support, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness to book a free 15-minute consultation with a perinatal therapist. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by lactation consultant, Amy Fields, to discuss some of the common myths and struggles of breastfeeding. You do not want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up, you're doing an amazing job.